Hello and welcome to Stream It, the podcast where we explore movies, old favorites, new favorites, and every so often movies we love just a little bit less. This is Season 3, Episode 5, and today we are going to be talking about Train to Busan from 2016. As always, I am Zachary Ortz, I am one of your co-hosts, and I am joined this week, just like each week preceding this week, by my good buddy Matthew Watkins. Hey Matty, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. Folks can probably hear that uh, Zach is, you know, recovering from uh, from a little bit of illness. You can hear it in his voice. I can hear it in your voice, at least. Yeah, so, well, I, I'm always, I'm never sure how much of it is like in my head and how much of it is because I have to work like pretty hard to keep my voice in like my normal register. If I just let it live where it wants to live, I would be talking down here, but. That just feels like, it feels comfortable for me speaking wise, but it feels very like uncomfortable for me as a human because I know my voice doesn't sound like that really. So yeah, for sure. So, uh, Yeah, but I probably won't be editing this episode. Our friend David will, so I won't even really have to contend with that. So hopefully it's not too uncomfortable for people to listen. I always feel a little strange when I listen to podcasts and people are sick and I'm like, ooh, I hope I don't get sick. And then I have to remember like, oh, no, that's not how sickness works. At least sure. not sure. yet anyway. Uh, the one good thing is, you know, it's a. I was going to joke that we had a guest appearance from Vincent Price on the show today. But ooh, um, yes. yeah. <laughs> but it's good stuff. No, I'm, I'm actually like feeling totally fine. Like I'm. I have no symptoms. I haven't really had symptoms for five or six days. It's just my voice disappeared and it, it still hasn't come back. So Yeah, yeah it's understandable. <laughs> All right. You're feeling good, though? You're not recovering from any illness or ailments? I'm, you know, recovering from quarter of school that just finished. But other than that, yeah. No, I'm fine. Nice, nice. All right, so let's jump right on in here. So this is Train to Busan. Is this our... Oh, no, it's not our first foreign film because we did Godzilla. But I think it's our right. second foreign film, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. It's a... Oh, I can't remember for sure, but that sounds right. Yeah, and we're, we're going to have a back-to-back subtitle movies here from with Train to Busan this week, and then we'll be back for a silent movie next week. Yeah. But what's your history with this movie? Had you seen it before this? No, this is my first time seeing it. I I had I had heard about this film a little bit and just heard good reviews of it, especially when the movie Parasite was coming out. Because there's a lot of overlap in the people that were involved in making this film and the mm. film Parasite. And Parasite was a big entry from South Korean film into the United States, particularly in the Academy Awards. But Train to Busan is kind of a little bit of the precursor to this big influx of a lot of South Korean film like Parasite and Squid Game and things like that. So that's about as much as I knew about the film. Though I had mentioned that we were going to do it to my students and like 70% of them had seen the film. So Oh, interesting. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, it's uh, among among the Gen Zs. It is a very popular film, apparently. 
So I felt very old when all of them knew about it and had seen it multiple times. And I was like, oh, I've, yeah, I'm watching it for the first time. So hopefully I'll like it. Interesting. Yeah, I... So it f- funny enough, it wasn't really a movie that was on my radar until we were talking about doing it for the podcast. And then it was one that... It was one that you had suggested because we we really wanted to try and get a little more diversity into our lineup and try and get at least one non-English speaking film for this season. And then after that, it sort of popped up in two different places in my life. There's a podcast that I've been listening to called Draft Punks, which is a really fun little podcast where they have different categories and then they draft them like it's a fantasy football draft or whatever or fantasy baseball or fantasy fantasy sports. And one of the podcasts that I had listened to was on horror movies. They were drafting horror movies and someone had taken this movie. And I, I tried not to listen as they were talking about it because I didn't want to be spoiled. But I did know that I believe three out of four of the people on that podcast had seen it and they spoke very highly of this movie. And so I knew it was at least in someone's <laughs> top top 10 or top 15 horror movies of all time. For, for their draft nice so yeah so yeah. so I, I had pretty pretty high expectations coming in uh yeah my expectations were a bit high for this one just because so many of my students had said they enjoyed it but at the same time i'm always skeptical of of the films that my students enjoy because they mm, just yeah. don't see a wide range of things so it's hard for me to tell sometimes if if that's a really good sign that it's going to be good or if it's just popular at the time or whatever it might be um, well, and there also could just be like different aesthetics. I mean, I'm sure your students are all great and you're great, but sometimes people of different generations just appreciate different things or see different things in works of art. So it's not hard to imagine that there would be a movie that speaks to them that doesn't necessarily speak to you in the same way. And right. Uh, well, I guess on the flip side, you your job is to make the stuff that speaks to you speak to them, but... <laughs> uh for sure yeah might not always happen that way or at least not naturally generally when i'm in that situation i try to figure out what it is why it is that they're enjoying it and connecting with it and then try to Mm -hmm. you know tap into those things but honestly i didn't even have to put in much effort (laughs) for this one it was i found it really enjoyable and it was easy for me to connect with it but that'll be in our reactions but yeah. I did want to mention my history with zombie films. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what your history with zombie films in, but is, but I looked up that, you know, I have clearly addressed that I've watched a lot of movies in the past, but this is one of the major gaping holes in my history of films. I only have five zombie films in my film history. What um, are they? I, I think I might... I can't even think of any off the top of my head. I should have looked it up. So it's kind of embarrassing which ones they are on top of it, but I'm going to read off the list. So one is okay. Cabin in the Woods, which Okay, is, yeah, that's on my list. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's a zombie film, but I don't know that I would classify it. It's more a horror film mm-hmm. than a zombie film, if that makes sense. One of them is the extended music video of the song Thriller by okay. Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah. Um, one is Shaun of the Dead, which is excellent and I loved and is apparently very highly regarded. So I am legend and then Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, which, you know, 
Anyone? Yeah. Uh, the very famous the one. Classics, it tops yeah. the list for most people. Yeah. So, and then I've seen two episodes of The Walking Dead. So that's my history of zombie stuff. Got it. I guess I've also seen Zombieland. So I have I have that one on you. Yeah. So you've seen Zombieland, and I've seen Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, and between the two of us, we've got the genre pretty much nailed down. So. Yeah, I mean, in other media, I'm a bit more familiar with it. I know you are as well. We both read the Newsflash trilogy, yes. which by Myra Grant, which is kind of an interesting take on zombies. And then I've actually read not all of, but a good portion, of, at least 10 to 12 trade paperbacks of The Walking Dead. So I'm I'm pretty familiar with the graphic novel world of those and then i've read a ton of stephen king books and read the passage the first two books in whatever that trilogy is called and yeah yeah and the other zombie media that i'm familiar with is the resident evil video game series (laughs) yeah Uh, I, i love those (laughs) <laughs> and a variety of, of other, you know, I play Dungeons and Dragons. There's lots of zombies in there, and I've played uh, several Dungeons and Dragons campaigns that, maybe not campaigns, adventures that are heavily zombie like media influenced and things like that. So it, it was strange for, to me to look at this because I felt like I was very familiar with the zombies as a genre. But as far mm-hmm. as film goes, I'm pretty much a neophyte, and it was interesting because of that to sit down and watch the film. Yeah, that that makes sense. I wonder may, maybe some listeners. Well, we'll talk about it in the in the past, past the second half of the show. So, let's talk a little bit about the time period that this was released in. So, this movie was released July twentieth in South Korea, and then July twenty second over in the U.S. in twenty sixteen. So, not a ton of space between those and it was a limited release when it released at that point in the united states it didn't just broadly release two days after it had released in south korea and yeah we've talked around 2016 a little bit on the podcast we hinted at it for inside out inside out was 2015 and talked about how that sort of lived in a more idealistic world before everything got destroyed in 2016 but this is our our first time talking about the year itself and you you made a pretty important little little note here in our show notes right next to the the year do you want to share with everyone what what that i i think it's really a profound insight if i say so myself yeah it's definitely so in the show notes i added 2016 and then i added a poop emoji um, mm-hmm, because yeah. that surmised my entire feelings of the year 2016. Um, the, you know, basically the beginning year of uh, what became a national nightmare for essentially is still going, you know, this past six years. So, and just going through the events of 2016 was kind of overwhelming, to be perfectly honest. Because there were so many just, uh, just horrible news events from that year. And a lot of them I had just kind of forgotten because the Trump stuff overwhelms so much of it. But there's a lot of other just terrible stuff going on that year as well. You know, like David Bowie dying and Prince dying and Alan Rickman dying and, you know, but a bunch of other terrible Brexit was that Brexit was that year. 
you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. all these things. Yeah. There's, it's possible my memory is flawed about this, but 2016 is the first time, like, by the time the first of the year came around, there was already a lot of dread in this country about the election, because at that point, like, Donald Trump had declared, I can't remember exactly when it was, but I think on the Inside Out podcast, we had said like August or September of 2015 was around when we started like really getting worried about it. And so by the time the new year rolled around, it was just like, oh my goodness, we are barreling towards this election. And even though he hadn't wrapped up the nomination, and I don't think had Super Tuesday happened yet, when is Super Tuesday? Usually in February. In February, yeah. yeah. So Super Tuesday hadn't hadn't happened yet, but the, there was still that looming feeling. And 2016 is the first year in a spate of years where I remember when bad things happened, and they happened almost immediately at the beginning of the year. There, like, just my Twitter feed was filled with people saying, 2016 is a horrible year. Can we go back to 2015? And then that is a feeling that has sort of perpetuated until now like it hasn't gone away there's just sort of been a overarching sense of doom I guess I don't know if that's too too strong a word but I, I think it was right at the beginning of the year that as you said both Prince and David Bowie died within pretty quick succession right yeah am I I'm not misremembering that am I this is correct yeah yeah and it just set the a, a lot of people died that year. A lot of people who were really near and dear to people in our generation, and uh, yeah, it sort of served as an omen for what would happen over the course of the rest of the year. For sure, yeah. It's and I I don't know. I I tried to pick out a few things to put on the list here, but even then. I just felt like I don't know. I I gave up at, at one point. I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk. No, I mean, you know like, what I mean? Everyone, so. everyone who's listening to this show, at least now. I mean, who, who knows? Time capsule or whatever. Like, we all lived through 2016, so we don't need to recap <laughs> what yeah. happened. But you did pull a few things that um, you had forgotten, and I had also forgotten were this year. So, what yeah. what were some of those things? So I I tried to pick things that I felt connected to the film, but one of them was the president of South Korea was impeached that year, Um, Mm -hmm. and there was so much uproar throughout the country and protests and things like that, that, and it happened a little, the protests really started growing as a movement in South Korea after this film had come out, so... Like, the film came out, people watched this, and then a few weeks, a couple months later, I don't know the timeline exactly because I don't remember it that well. I wasn't following South Korean news closely enough. But by the end of the year, the their president was impeached and then put into jail for, you know, a huge bribery scandal, essentially. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that's the kind of thing that if you were in South Korea watching this film and seeing... <laughs> The themes the film has about corruption and class and those things, once mm-hmm. the election rolled, or not the election, the impeachment of the president rolled around, you probably would have felt really strongly, you know, the connection between those things, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it does. 
So there's one for you. As I said, Brexit was that year. There was a, a huge rise in fascist movements around the world. The list of fascist leaders that took that gained power in that year was too long for me to to include. Um, <laughs> so, you know, that wasn't great. There was the election where Donald Trump won the election and, you know, with interference from Russia in the election and all of those things. But some some things... I, I had a couple things that weren't so bad, I guess. Uh, Pokemon Go released, like, a week before this movie. Uh, maybe two weeks? Yeah, two weeks before yeah, this movie. Yeah, a, a couple of weeks before, yeah. And that... I mean, it's something that I remember pretty clearly. I remember the summer of Pokemon Go, and it is a nice memory. I had, if you had asked me what year that was, I would not have been able to place it. I would, I would not have known 2016. Yeah, well, and then the three weeks after Pokemon Go came out, it was like society felt different. This may sound strange for people to hear, but it was common to see people just like, walking in the streets to Pokestops and things like that, you know, on their street corners to play this game. Yeah. And all the, I, I remember there were so many news stories about people connecting in different ways than they had before. Uh, and it lasted like three or four weeks, something like that, before it kind of died down. But it would have been right during this film, the height of this film, or the height of Pokemon Go would have been right while this film was was at its biggest point. Yeah. And then <laughs> at first I didn't realize what this was in your show notes. And then I thought about it for a little bit. And of course, there was over a century long World Series drought that was broken in 2016. Yeah, The Chicago Cubs won the World Series for the first time. I think it was in 112 years, but... It, it was definitely over a century, and it, I mean, I I don't know if you watched the World Series, but, like, the, one of the games went into a long rain delay, and I had work the next day. I, if you don't live on the East Coast, then it's, a like, you maybe have never thought about the way sports fans have to interact with sports <laughs> when the games go so late over here but that game i believe went till maybe 1 30 or 2 in the morning and we had to stay up through a rain delay to see whether or not the cubs would finish a comeback or seal the deal after they had already come back don't 100 percent remember the the situation of the game but i remember staying up late and being very nervous for a team that was not my team and a team that I didn't really have any particular allegiance to just because I wanted those poor fans to get a ring so badly. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, I don't normally watch the World Series and I didn't I didn't really watch this one, but I watched bits and pieces of it and was following closely what was going on with it. So yeah, I don't know. And what always sticks out to me about, you know, the Cubbies is the film history stuff with the Back to the Future 2 when they go to the future and the Cubs win the mm-hmm. uh, win the World Series and you know in in 2016. So it was it was a a you know, it was predicted, I guess we we could say. So that was a fun little one to add on here. Yeah. Yeah. And the last one I think we should should mention it even though it's much more somber, but um, you know, spoiler alert, I suppose, but it's a zombie movie, so 
a lot of people die in this movie too so i suppose the somber tone is uh somewhat merited yeah so on june 12th about a month uh, a month ish before this film came out was the pulse nightclub shooting which at the time was the biggest shooting in in american history until the las vegas shooting i, I believe is the timeline there so um yeah, i think that's right so that was definitely on my mind when this film would have come out. So I was trying to kind of place myself for uh, where my mind would have been at when all this came out. And, you know, this this film has kind of a cramped setting of and a lot of panic as this violence is happening. And so I can imagine that kind of situation and how that would have affected people that were watching at the same time at the time period. It's not a surprise to me that this film was so successful because of the way it speaks to the themes of what were going on that year as well. So, uh, but we can get into that as we go deeper into the film. Yeah, of course. So that's 2016. Let's talk a little bit about our personnel and stats here. This this movie is the 10th highest film for all-time domestic gross in South Korea and... <laughs> I thought this was, this was kind of quaint. I don't know if we do this here, but on the, the same Wikipedia page for South Korean cinema, they also have just the raw number of tickets sold to get into the movie. Yeah. And this is 14th on, on that list all time. Yeah, it, it, very popular in South Korea. It was also like the the top-selling film ever in Malaysia, I think, the year that it came out. and um, Oh, wow a couple of things like that so very popular film it it didn't do a whole lot of numbers here in the united states but then um through streaming and through video it picked up kind of a cult following here in the united states as well afterwards yeah and just for reference this was the 10th highest on the domestic gross list and parasite is 13th excellent yeah right there right there next to each other so the the budget for this film was eight point five million dollars. Um, that is unbelievable. Uh, I had to check it a couple of times, and I I'm still like, did I overlook something? Because it is. I mean, they sure got every cent of that movie up on the on the on the screen. You know, it's a it is incredible they were able to make this film for that kind of budget well and compare that to like what were the films what sort in 2016 what are some of the big budget films and and how much did those cost do you have do you know that yeah so finding dory came out that year and it Mm -hmm. cost 200 million (laughs) dollars oh okay Rogue One came out that year and also cost $200 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain yeah, America's those... Civil War cost $250 million and came out that year. Jeez. And honestly, like, I think this film looks as good as any of them. Maybe Rogue One is like looks a little bit better maybe than this film. But otherwise, like, it really does look good. Like, the cinematography is great and the animation, what animation there is, is really good. So, by comparison, for films that made the same, like, amount of money internationally, the budgets of those films, you had The Magnificent Seven that made slightly more than this film, and it cost $90 million to make. 
mm-hmm. uh, Arrival that made just a, a smidgen less than this film cost $47 million to make. And the Angry Birds movie, which made about $10 million more than this film, cost $73 million to make. So the comparison there, this is a tenth as much as films that it was competing with in the same class. Yeah. Do you have a sense how much of that is whether or not personnel is a lot cheaper over there i can't imagine personnel makes up like a large part of movies budgets for the most part right yeah so i imagine that uh, just trying to figure out how they could even do this the, the the personnel had to have been a bit less just for the people that that were in it the people that are in the film were mostly not that well known at the time period Gong Yu, the, the, who plays the main character, he was kind of a star at the time period. But this one is he really... He looks like a star. <laughs> yeah, he does, for sure. He carries himself uh, like a star, for sure. Yeah, so he he was definitely the biggest name on the on the list when uh, in the cast. And then there is Jung Yu Mi, who plays the, the pregnant wife in the film. And she was in a lot of, like, indie art films and had kind of built a name for herself before this film. Uh, And she'd done a couple of other films as well, uh, one called The Crucible, I believe, and things like that. But otherwise, most of them were not very well known. It launched the careers of um, uh, Ma Dong-seok, who is often known in his uh, by the Western name of Don Lee, this was basically mm. his breakout film, and he became one of the biggest action stars in South Korea afterwards. So, yeah. The, also, in just the making of this film, they were really creative in how they put together the film and were able to make it. So, I think that helped keep the budget low as well. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about some of the some of the people. For sure. Oh, I wanted to mention how much it made. Uh, it made. Oh yeah, yeah, we should do that. It made ninety-eight point five million dollars in the international market. So most of that is in Korea and and other overseas markets. Uh, it only made like two and a half million dollars in the United States. But a hundred million dollars internationally is it. It's a pretty decent run, and for a film that cost eight point five million dollars, that is an insanely good return on investment. That's you know, that's just a dramatic huge blockbuster. So, you know, pretty great, pretty cool that they were able to do that. Yeah. Let's let's talk about the two actors you had pulled first since you mentioned them briefly already. Yeah, excellent. So we have Ma Dong Seok. Um, I'm trying my best with the pronunciations, but there's a lot of them, and I tried to look up some of the pronunciations, and there were so many of them that I cannot remember them all, and they're blending together and whatnot. So I, I will attempt my best. I'm sorry, everyone. But he's generally known by the name, the stage name in the West is Don Lee. And he was in this film. He is the character who, you know, straps up his arms and goes and, oh, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't spoil. Sorry. Yeah, he's he's the character who, um, the husband, the future father. Yes. I think that's how, how most people will yeah, the, key into him. The father to be. And yeah, his his performance in this film is, he's so good in this film. He, he really won me over in the film. So I'm excited to talk about his scenes and all of those things. But 
The other film that he will be known by known for by a lot of our listeners would probably be Marvel's Eternals, in which he plays the part of Gilgamesh, the guy that's you know really strong and has a great little love story with Angelina Jolie and all of those things. But he has a lot of films in South Korea after Train to Busan, so many uh, big action roles that he that he does. So he's able to to turn this into a, a great career and a lot of roles that seem to be drawing on the things he displayed in this film. Yeah, and really great that he was able to use this, I assume, as a stepping stone to get over to the States and get into, you know, <laughs> the most lucrative film franchise of, well, is it the most lucrative film franchise of all time? It, it has Star Wars beat now, right? It depends on how you measure it. But okay, yeah, yeah. So. one of the most lucrative film franchises of all time. Yeah, it works. It's, it's uh, you know, yeah, yeah. It's he's he's has this great physical presence, but also he does so much with his face. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. incredibly expressive, and so just a great performer. And it, it's easy to see why people fell in love with him in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who who else do you have? So the other actor here we have Jung Yoo Mi, and she plays the part of the pregnant wife. So she's she's a really fascinating character just looking at over her career. None of these actors do I I don't know any of them extremely well, so I haven't seen them really in very many other things and I had to kind of piece together what I could of their career from reading things about them. But yeah, so she is known for playing these kind of she has a lot of really highly critically regarded films, things that are more art house films and independent films. And then she's also done some bigger budget things where she plays kind of these quirky characters. So she she has a a lot of a really good resume. She's got things like Family Ties, Cha, The Crucible, and then Kim Ji-young born 1982. And these are some of the bigger films that she's done, but she's also known for doing a bunch of these other independent films that I don't have all the names for. Yeah, fair enough. And then the last person that we want to talk about is our director here, who I'll give this one a go. So I believe it's Yan Sang-ho, Yan Sang-ho. Sounds right to me. And yeah, he had maybe a handful of directorial, direct, handful of directed films before this one. A superhero film called Psychokinesis, which... I I haven't seen any of these films. I assume you also haven't, but I'm certainly interested in going to check them out after this. And I was particularly interested to see what his take on a superhero film would be. And then The King of Pigs and The Fake. And then uh, we're, a couple of years ago, there was a sequel to this movie, Peninsula, that came out. Yeah, it's... it's... He has a lot of animation credits, and so mm-hmm. it was interesting to see. This was his first major live action film, so taking taking oh. that aesthetic and kind of blending it over into this film, I I actually could see a lot of that influence in the way that he yeah. was building the film. Psychokinesis was not live action. Oh no, that was twenty eighteen, right? Right. So that yeah. was two years after this. Yes. Sorry, I forgot what year this film came out for a minute. <laughs> That's okay. That's exciting. Yeah, so it's it's pretty cool. And he's 
making a few of these these zombie films, but he really just makes a lot of genre stuff. So, like you said, some superhero stuff and some horror things and just a, a really broad range of of genre fiction that he's making. All of it apparently very high quality and it's kind of cool. I want to go through and watch some of those animated films that he that he's made. Yeah, one of them I believe is in the same universe as this and it's a prequel. Yes, Station to Soul, I believe is what it's called or State mm. Soul Station something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. Uh oh, and the the last thing I wanted to mention here for stats was I was pretty surprised when I was looking at the the Oscar nominations. I was like, well, th- this film is very well regarded, so sh- surely it was nominated for uh, international feature at the Oscars. And I was surprised to see that it was not. But then when I went and looked at this, so the, the way this works is South Korea submit is able to submit one movie a year to the Oscars for consideration. And they chose, they did not submit this movie in 20 for the 2017 Oscar year. They submitted a different movie, which also was not nominated, but I, and I couldn't really find anywhere to corroborate this, but I have to imagine that based on the success of this film was, part of what allowed Parasite to get the visibility that it had for its eventual nomination and then eventual win at the Oscars. Yeah, for sure. There's so many overlaps of people involved with this film. For example, one of the actors, the actor who plays the baseball player, is one of the main characters in Parasite. Mm. And there's the cinematographer also did some cinematography on Parasite as well and on Squid Game and all of those things. And so you see this this overlap between those things, and I can only imagine that that helped build up a lot of the steam, the, the reception of this film, uh, that helped gain Parasite the, the, uh, the attention. And also just people really liked the deep themes that were connected with this film, and so mm-hmm. I think that people were looking for those same things in Parasite when it came out, and they're definitely there in Parasite, and it executed just beautifully and uh, and you know marvelously in the film Parasite. So uh, people were primed for it, and I think that's that's a really good thing. I'm glad that that happened and uh, was able to turn this into uh, Parasite into an Oscar success as well. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about personnel and stats? That's all that I've got. All right. So let's do if we have any advice or insight for first time viewers here. And I don't I don't have a ton in terms of the film. Like you should know that it is in a foreign language. So you are going on Amazon. There are two options. You can either watch it with English dubs and I tried to watch a little bit of that just to see if I could get a sense of how it was but it I believe it's at the time of this recording it was for an additional add-on so you'd have to pay an extra four dollars but if anyone has seen the English dub please reach out and let let us know if that's how you watched it and whether you enjoyed it But because there's an English dub available, the subtitles, at least on Amazon, did not automatically turn on for me. So I had to 
<laughs> I watched the first 90 seconds of the movie twice because I wasn't sure if I was supposed to be able to read um, the written Korean or not because it wasn't subtitled. So I yeah. had to go back and, and turn those on. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. It's I, I have subtitles always on for everything, so I didn't uh, mm-hmm. notice that issue. You know, there's there's always a lot of debate over whether you should watch things with subtitles or with, or with dubs. I, for myself, I'm not particularly interested in that debate. I find, I think that you watch things in whatever you can watch them and connect with uh, is my personal yeah. opinion on that. Generally, people prove, generally, people that argue about these kinds of things, usually there's more support for the subtitles because the idea is that you can get more of the context, like the the meaning out of the subtitles and, that when, uh, and the performances. So... You know, there's there's a little bit of validity to that, but honestly, I I think it I think the difference between the ways to watch it are oftentimes people it becomes a barrier to people and watch whatever is less of a barrier for you to see it. In my opinion, yeah, whatever whatever is going to make you happiest. I probably a couple of years ago would have felt like I would have wanted to only do subtitles but we over during the pandemic we watched money heist with english dubs and i just loved it so much i can't i'm sure that show is great with the subtitles but i i fell in love with like the performances of the dubbed voice actors so i i can't really imagine that any other way so i think you can have a good experience both ways just maybe depending on the film or depending on the show and depending on your personal preference. And the quality of the work that's put into the subs and the dubs on both yeah. of those things, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing that I would give just a little bit of a warning of is there. The, there's a lot of violence and body horror in this one. I didn't find it problematic for me to watch, but I would not have watched it with my kids without, you know, thinking of how to prep them or whatever beforehand. Mm-hmm. And if you're particularly squeamish, you know it's it's a zombie movie. <laughs> there's there's dead people and body parts and like broken necks and spines and people walking in strange ways and uh, all of those kinds of things. Lots of blood and things like that. So it's worth keeping in mind. But over but uh, for me, someone who is you know has difficulty with those kinds of things, sometimes I didn't find this one particularly challenging at all. No, it's not. I didn't like have to hide during this one, like look away or hide under the pillow. But it's not like a necessarily always comfortable watch. I guess I'd say that. Yep. Makes sense. All right. So let's take a break and we will see you on the other side.
welcome back for the second half of the show. We'll dive right in. Why don't Why don't you go first? What was your reaction to this? I really loved this film. I loved it a lot. It it's mm-hmm. I was expecting to enjoy it, but I enjoyed it more than I thought I was going to. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, and so it, it was a lot of fun to watch. I enjoyed the action so thoroughly. I thought the the way that they structured the set pieces and the action was so clever and thoughtful and character-oriented action. Uh, so I really enjoyed yeah, these definitely. those things. I enjoyed the depth of the you know social commentary and things that were in the film. So it's both a fun action film and also kind of a, a an interesting critical commentary of society. And that's right in the pocket for me for things that I enjoy. So I liked it. I, I enjoyed it a ton. What about you? I enjoyed it slightly less than I was expecting to. But really, it was just a... a we've, I've talked about this before on the show, but just a case of like misplaced expectations and not really a hundred percent knowing like it was definitely built up for me a little bit too much well actually I shouldn't even say that because I think the quality of the movie is about exactly where my expectations were but I think I expected that I was going to be able to get emotionally involved in the movie in a different way where like I had to recalibrate I had to continually recalibrate my emotions for the film based on how detestable the protagonist is and how detestable like a lot of his actions were. And I just had to recalibrate myself into a story where I was that was about his personal growth. And then so I wasn't really fully able to like emotionally connect to it until they killed him off at the end of the movie like that was probably the biggest moment of emotional catharsis for me because I was so pleased that that was where they decided to go for the film and until then I was just a little like stressed about what my emotions were going to be yeah totally valid because the the main character here the let's see played by gong yu uh Wu. he's you know a scumbag and he's he's not a good person and he's a terrible father and but a terrible father in this kind of detached way that's so normal in society and he's you know part of this grind culture in you know in finance and economics and all of those kinds of things that I know so many people like that that just I find so contemptible. So it was interesting to see that, and I I kind of figured that they were tr- that a lot of this was going to be a redemption arc to him uh, of him through this zombie story. Especially uh, from my understanding of the zombie genre, is that you know mm-hmm. almost everyone dies in them. So I just kind of expected him to die the entire film. So oh, so that might have yeah. helped out my viewing a little bit. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I just wasn't... That would be my expectation for an American zombie film. But I just wasn't sure. I didn't really have any expectations that I brought into it knowing that it was a foreign film. I just wasn't sure 
if if it was a uniquely american thing to kill everyone off in your horror films yeah that's valid so, uh, we we have the final scene down to talk about and so so we'll talk about it more when we get there but yeah definitely i just had no idea how the end of this movie was going to turn out oh, for sure but i i think the thing that challenged me the most emotionally here was i was worried that it was going to be a full-on redemption arc for his character mm-hmm. but if i had known and I didn't want to know, like, I didn't want the movie spoiled for me. But if I had known that it was essentially a story about him overcoming his personal failings so that he could save his daughter, then that would have felt a lot better to me. And it by the end of the movie, then I felt great about it. Yeah. But, like, I have this movie in, like, the A range, but my experience watching it was in the, like, B or high B plus range. That's valid. So it's still a, still a very good experience, but not quite what I was expecting. The stress that I was going through throughout this film was, uh, I said partway through, just if they kill off the little girl or the pregnant lady, I'm going to be so that, yeah. mad. And, mm-hmm. you know, whew, there were some close calls there. So that was the only two characters that I was like, they can't, they can't die or I'll be upset a bit about this film. And so as everybody else got killed off and it was getting closer, I'm just like, oh, it, it was making me making me nervous. But in a way that I was enjoying because I was in the film and I could tell that they were trying to make me worried about that. But by the end of the film, they had pulled off the ending pretty well for all that. So, yeah, so I get that. That was that was my, my major stress. Yeah, and I I do agree with you. The action sequences, particularly the action sequences on the train, were just awesome in this film. They were exhilarating, I thought. Yeah. So those 100% worked on me. And they were not... They weren't what I was expecting. I don't know... I think they're kind of uncommon in zombie films because, like to have full-on action sequences just because you don't generally have people who can fight in zombie films. That's sort of the point. Yeah. And a lot of that is that the zombies are fast in this film. Uh, yep. And they're yeah, able to zombies. fight back. Yeah. So so that helps for the choreography of the fighting and all of those things. And I just thought it, the cinematography, though, of the, of the fighting scenes, the action scenes in the train was so good and so phenomenal uh the the way they put these together is they had like a train that they kind of built on the set or, or they they built a train and then had a pull out pull outs on each of the walls on the sides so they could pull the walls out and then have the cameras in on that the makes side. sense yeah. yeah 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 so the train is up and moving around and the people are cramped in there but the cameras are able to move freely on the sides and then they can pull out both sides as they're going so which is uh, it? It worked so well for me the way that they the way they shot all of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let's dive in and talk about our first scene here, which is your. This is your scene, right? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So we start off the film. You know, they decide they're going to get on the train, and go to Busan to see the daughter, uh, Suan's mom. Um, this is Seok Wu. His it was a ex-wife, wife or ex-wife wife. or partner. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how clear it is on that one, but they're getting on the train to go to go take her to see 
her mom. And what I loved about this scene, the way that it's structured, is that you get introduced to all these different characters on the train kind of one by one. Yeah. And so you get these little moments with them, people, this kind of ensemble film. And, you know, I knew going in that probably most of these people are going to die, but you're seeing what kind of character they're expressing and what they're leaning on, what the, what this person's going to represent. And at the same time, there's in the background of this entire beginning is the zombie stuff but it's just out of view like just on the periphery so it's and the characters are not noticing at all so they're like driving down the streets and there's some fights like in the alley and it shows them and then it goes by and or there's somebody running off on frame and doing something strange but it's while the characters are focused on getting on the train or what it might be so that that structure to the story of that we know there's something going on, but we're seeing this kind of peaceful, normal story of people getting on the train really worked on me a lot. Yeah. And this is sort of what the whole movie hinges on, because if you don't, if you don't nail this, if you don't get investment in the characters here, and I think it's really, so we've already met, Siakwu and Suan, the dad and the daughter, but this is where we meet uh, Yoon Sung-hwa the, and Seong Kyuk, uh, so, sorry, Seong Kyung, mm-hmm. and those are people we've already talked about, the couple who's pregnant, the expecting parents. And the introduction of those characters is really interesting because Suan gets up from her dad and then is going to use the restroom and it's not clear right off the bat if these are friendly or um, if Sang Hua is going to be friendly. He's seen like he puts his hand in the way and blocks her from going to the bathroom at first. And you're like, oh, what's this guy's deal? And then you see he's just a very protective kind of father figure over his wife and his uh, his soon to be born baby. And they become endearing quite quickly. But I love the foil character that he is with uh, yeah. Suan's, fa- Suan's actual father. And obviously they're going for that. It, it's that foil character works perfectly. Yeah, and there he provides the first level of growth for, for our anti-hero protagonist here. He, he's really the one who tells him off the first time for trying to lock him out of the lock him out of the safe car and then later on he'll be he'll be the one who ends up saving his daughter so yeah. the everything that Siakwu is not um so Siakwu is set up to be very selfish and doesn't care about others and really is just you know me 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 I don't care if you die he he eventually sets himself up as the the polar opposite yeah yeah and i mean when when you look at people's reactions to this film song hua don lee's character is just so beloved and he's uh it's always like people have you know pictures of him and you know standing him and all those kinds of things and his introduction works so well here so one of the other introductions that happens is you get introduced to this baseball team and there's this player on the baseball team and this girl that's i wasn't entirely clear on their relationship if 
she was just interested in him at the beginning and wanted to kind of sit by him or if they were already an item if they were already a relationship so but you have yeah, that in I, yeah go ahead yeah i wanted to ask you about this because it it is a pretty strange scene where the baseball team is all gathered and then she enters the car and is like yeah i get to go with you guys i'm going to be your cheerleader and the guys are kind of egging her on and then she sits down next to kim and basically like takes his headphone out of there and is really like trying to flirt with him and he's just trying to ignore her and she's getting egged on by the you know all the other players and I was really unsure like what I was unsure if there was some sort of like cultural thing that I was missing here and what like whether we were supposed to view this as cute or I don't know did you have a reading on this situation or were you as confused as i was i was as confused as you were i wasn't sure if it was supposed to be cute or if it was supposed to be just uncomfortable or how much it's supposed to be a mix of the two feelings i wasn't sure how much they were already in a relationship and she's just teasing him or if she it seems like maybe she's interested in a relationship and trying to kind of push this and he's unsure how he feels about that but again I'm not sure I felt like I missed some context there to be able to interpret that scene. But I do find the characters endearing, so it still worked on me, even though I didn't understand fully what was happening in their relationship. Yeah, I don't know if I found them endearing yet, but they they become endearing pretty quickly after this. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And then, you know, there's the Yang Suk, the the businessman. Uh, yeah, that I detested from the moment I saw him. So that worked really well. Yeah, everyone sort of coupled off, I feel like. So the other couple is there's a couple of old ladies who are, or older ladies, I shouldn't say old ladies, but older than the rest of our characters um, mm-hmm. who are peeling an egg and trying to get get each other to eat here. And then, as you said, the businessman, Yan Suk, who doesn't, I guess the person I think of as his partner is not really his partner at all, but it's the um, train conductor. And so that really makes up our core characters. Yeah, for sure. And the, the older ladies, their sisters. I wasn't sure about that as I was watching until the film got along. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 That Um, makes sense. And that one is apparently a cultural context. I went to look up what was going on with them and they're representing how there's a lot of a population in in Korea that this older population that was there before the transition to the the government that is there in place and so you have some tension between some like communist leanings and also fascist leanings between the two different tensions that were happening in the country before the current government was in place and a lot of those people remember that and so you see this when when the one sister is like uh oh there's people rioting they you know they'd be re-educated back in the day and the other one's like you shouldn't say that kind of thing uh and it's there's a lot of cultural context in korea where this older generation is very much kind of left on their own and doesn't have the resources to take care of themselves and so you have a lot of situations like this where family members essentially are you know like two sisters will be the only support for each other to be able to survive Mm. so yeah yeah so 
the introduction of the characters works really well. Then the other thing that's happening is there is uh, one girl that gets on board and has like a tourniquet around her leg and she's trying to keep from bleeding. And it's, you know, you're pretty sure that she's been bit by a zombie or something. And the train is trying to figure out what's going on with her, what's happening exactly. And one of the things that worked really particularly well on me here is the rich guy comes to the conductor and he's like, hey, um, I saw somebody get on board that probably shouldn't be here. And I was like, oh, did he see the girl? Are they going to go see this? Is that going to be like a, a conflict here at the beginning? But it's not. It's um, It wasn't clear to me if it was a homeless man or just a man who had seen the the uh, bad things happen or both. Uh, and so he's traumatized. I believe it was supposed to be both from what I read, yeah. Yeah, and so you see that he's judging this person. And drawing the resources of the train away from the real problem towards this other guy because of his prejudice towards someone from a lower class. And he's in the first class part of the train, and he's like, I don't know if there's supposed to be a dirty homeless person in the f- the first class part of the train. And so everybody gets brought up to investigate this thing, and then you have the one, the one train attendant that's trying to figure out what's going on with this girl. And in this moment, I thought to myself, like, if they just stepped in and did something right here, solve the whole problem, the whole movie is fine. You know, because it's one person that's not even turned into a zombie yet. They could have done something. But because all of their attention is on exactly the wrong things, the entire ball is able to start rolling. Yeah. And this worked on me the exact same way. I was curious if... In retrospect, it seemed pretty obvious, but I was curious if it had worked on you in the same way, so I'm glad that it did. The The other thing that's interesting about the homeless man, I had mentioned that everyone is sort of paired off, mm-hmm. and I think this is intentional that everyone's paired off except for him, and so he really is representing like all homeless people or all outcasts, and I think think that's intentional that he has no pair but then eventually is brought into the fold and brought into society and makes the la i think the last sacrifice that lets uh, other than the sacrifice that siak Wu will eventually make but the the last sacrifice that lets are the two the two ladies or the the mom and the daughter get away safely yeah and his his scene his character arc and is really beautiful to me i liked his his arc his was one of my favorites in the way that it ended so so that do you have anything else you want to say about this getting on the train that's it for that one for me oh and then i guess it does end with this really great shot of them locking the doors and it i mean you know the movie is trained to busan and it sort of just makes this feeling of here we go but then it does it it did surprise me a little bit that 40 minutes into this movie like at the 40 minute mark the train stops and everybody gets off the train and we're gonna have i expected once we were on the train we were on that train until the end of the movie yeah this got me too and it threw me for a loop once they were getting off i was like whoa i didn't this is this is not what i expected this is not what i signed up for what's going on here but yeah, this is this is really interesting. Yeah, and so the so there there's a an eleven minute divergence here where we have a basically we get to see that 
a city has been torn apart and then we have i believe our second action set piece here at the yeah at the that takes place at the train station and i think so i think the reason they did this is twofold i think it was so that we could see how quickly this zombie outbreak had spread so that we could see that it wasn't localized to Seoul where we started the movie. But also, there's a really good diversity of the action set pieces in this movie. There's really the two on the train. So the one that happened right before this, our first zombie outbreak. Which is pretty short altogether, the first one. Um, It is pretty short, yeah. And then... There's this one that takes place at the train station. And then there's the big one that happens in the train, which we're going to talk about next. And then there's the final climactic action set piece. And I just think it's a really, really nicely laid out so that they all feel different and they all have different goals. (laughs) It's kind of Mm -hmm. funny that the second action set piece or... um, really i guess the first big one the whole point is to get out of the station and to get back on the train yes i thought that was really clever and it's also really interesting that it takes place in a much more open area um yeah because after that first scene you see them get away from the zombies and i love in this film how you know if you close the door the zombies can't get through, you know? And so, <laughs> yeah. And so it's one of the things that I love so much. The, the doors aren't even locked. They're just, you know, you slide this sliding door closed and zombies are like, well, I guess, you know, checkmate. You, you got me there. Um, yeah, I can't so, open a door. <laughs> exactly. But you don't have that option in the, in the Dajian train station. And so this one gave me a very different kind of feeling of panic because I was, I felt like, okay, I've figured out the rules. Uh, for how to defeat these mm-hmm. zombies, yeah. and now all of a sudden, this is this is a different. These rules are not the same, and there's a lot more of them. And they have military gear that they're not using, but it's on them, and they're aggressive and they're fast. You really see the movement of the zombies in this part, and how quickly they move, and how violent they are, and the way that the entire thing snowballs. You know, one person gets caught, and then you know, five seconds later, it's thirty people, and then like a hundred people, and they're all like piling up against the doors. So I felt like the action on this <laughs> one was so good, and the, and holding the decision to have them holding glass doors. To block out the yeah. zombies. Oh, such a such a great choice. Because it just gives you the sense of how much it is they're trying to hold back hold back and how flimsy the barrier is. Yeah, it's twofold. It one glass is kind of scary because it can break, but then two, it's transparent. So you can see exactly what is going on on the other side of those doors. <laughs> the stakes yeah. are immediately apparent for what happens if they break through. Right. Yeah, exactly. And this is the so this is the first time that we see someone tussle with a zombie and knock at God. So yeah. before here there's sort of an implicit assumption because it's how zombies work that it's transmitted through saliva or saliva to blood. So if you get if you get bit then you're then you're got. But this is the first time we see Siakwu 
get tackled by a zombie and he's able to avoid getting bit and shoves a book in the zombies (laughs) shoves a book in the zombie's face and escapes. so it it sets up the rule that biting is what is bad flesh breaking is what what is bad yeah and particularly there's this one shot where you know there's a guy running away and then the zombie jumps up on this like soldier's neck and bites him in the neck and it's so aggressive and so fast you're like oh geez and then the other guys back up as a zombie and you're like okay this is this is what's going on it's fast and they're coming and you know there is you you gotta you gotta react quickly there's no time to think in this situation yeah both there are two moments that happen back to back in this scene where so they've set up that we're in an empty place and there's just no one at the train station and the characters and ostensibly we think that they're like looking for safety and trying to find the safe haven and then back to back we see both different groups because they've split off see the zombies and both of these shots are extremely effective i thought where one of them is like a singular zombie who signifies the coming horde and then the other one is they're going down the escalator and just see a bunch of people i think as you said it's people in riot gear and so it looks like it's safe but then as you get further and further down the escalator it's like oh no those are in, those are zombos in in riot gear and yeah. oh no we are stuck on stuck on this escalator yeah <laughs> the escalator is so scary because it's moving down the opposite it's direction you want to go way, yeah oh and i was so panicked at that moment for Sung Hwa's character and for Sung Kyung's character, uh, the the husband and wife, and you know he just grabs his wife and like throws her off onto the stairs and they keep and they start going up. But as as they're moving down, it's it's just so fear inducing because there's it's they're so fast and the only thing that slows them down is the people that are already getting eaten and turned into zombies. So yeah, it's I don't know it's a it, and you don't find out their fate right away. And this was one of the best shots in the film for me is this moment where the main character, Siakawu, he has this deal to get him and his daughter extracted by his company. And he calls the, the guy that's arranged this and he's like, hey, I can't get a hold of anyone. I don't know what's going on. He sees these army folks and realizes that they've been turned to zombies. He turns around and sees the zombies coming up the stairs and his daughter is in the middle too far away from him to go and help. And she's just standing there and the zombie is coming over towards her. He's rushing in her direction to try to save her. And it becomes clear that he is not going to make it. It is not possible for him to do it. It, it, He cannot run fast enough. And then in comes in Don Lee's character and just punches that zombie out and saves the girl. And it was so heroic because all of a sudden you see, oh, he's alive and his wife is alive. And also he just saved the girl like at the last minute. minute, uh, Incredible shot. Such a good uh, filmmaking. Yep. And he's, uh, Siakwu is running in slow motion trying, trying to get there. And the i mean i'm sure some people find the slow motion maybe a little melodramatic but it it really worked for me especially because it made it just so stark like yeah there's no way he's closing this gap and i don't like if it had been in real time i just don't think you have time to realize he's not gonna make it yeah yeah it's it worked for me as well because of that yeah and then the other thing of course that happens here and it's pretty obvious, but it's the 
the exact opposite of what happened before with Siak Wu closing the door on Don Lee's character to try and keep him out of the safe car. Don Lee's character holds the door open. Yeah. So that Siak Wu can can get out. And he so says <laughs> he calls him an asshole and says, You hurry up. You know, so he, he's not mincing words that like he does not think that he's a good guy, but it's like, no, you're you're still human and as long as you're still human like we've got to stick together here. Yeah, it, it's I, I, that I love that scene so much because even though he views the guy as a terrible person, he's unwilling to sacrifice his by virtue of being a human being. He's willing to fight for his survival. He's not willing to sacrifice him in the way that so many other characters in the film were so willing to do so quickly. So we can move on and talk about the next scene here. But I did want to ask you. I had to play a little bit of catch up here because I did not fully track where it wasn't immediately clear to me that we were once we got onto the train, we were splitting into groups. And I like I I could because everything happened so fast, I didn't quite keep track of where all of the groups were. And so it like I had to play a little bit of catch up once everyone was split off to realize that they were in different places was was that a me thing or did you it's hard for me to tell so uh, so i actually had to pause at this moment of the film and then mm. like do bedtime stuff and then watch the film afterwards and put the kids to bed and whatnot Got it. and so in order to get back into it i went back and watched like the last you know five minutes of what had happened and because of that i think that i was able to process since i processed it twice it was more clear to me so i I don't know if if I would have had the same experience that you did. Got it. Yeah. Well, I wanted to add I wanted to add one thing on this scene actually. So one of the things that I found interesting, I looked up the distance from Seoul to Busan and how long a train I trip. Did that too. Yeah. So and then Dajian, the place where they stop in the middle, which is a, about a hundred miles there and like about a hundred miles ish, you know, rounding. And the train trip normally takes like two to two and a half maybe three-ish hours, something like that. And once I looked this up, I realized, I was like, oh, most of this film almost kind of happens in real time as you're watching mm-hmm. this, you know, the stuff that's happening on the train. It takes about 45 minutes, they get to Dajian, and then, you know, the action starts going from there. So I, I just thought that was an interesting little tidbit to add on to this scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the next scene that we have? Yeah, so this scene I think is probably most people's. I'm I'm assuming that it's most people's favorite scene in the film. It's the one that when you look probably, up uh, yeah. promotional materials, is the one that shows up all over the place. And so uh, what happens is the two groups get separated, and or there's three groups basically that are separated. Right? There's the rich folks that are in the first class cabin. There's the mm-hmm. zombies uh, periodically throughout the way, and then there's the daughter and the pregnant wife and the homeless man that are trapped in some ba- some bathrooms kind of in the middle. And then there's, there is Siak Wu, there is Yang Guk, and there is uh, Song Hua. So the, the dad, the main character, the protagonist, there's the Don Lee's dad character, you know, the, with the pregnant wife. And then there's the baseball player. And they get kind of isolated together at the back of the train. And they realize that they're going to have to try to get through the rest of the cars past all of these zombies in order to get to the, where the rest of the group is and to pick up the daughter and the wife first that are trapped in the bathrooms and then go from there to the cabin where everybody else is at. 
and the this is the whole concept of the film this idea of being trapped on the train with these zombies and trying to make your way through them and just for me watching it the impossibility of the task of trying to get through these based on what we've seen of the zombies and how they're going to be able to do it and then the cleverness with which the film gives us the outs that they're able to use to get past them yeah yeah this i mean this it's basically a what 20 to 25 minute set piece here with you know the the goal is clear <laughs> it's get to get to our wife and our kid and then get from there to safety and that's it and they set it up brilliantly and the like it basically does everything you get an action like where they have to fight their way through and it reveal it's in the first fight right that it reveals yes that they go through a tunnel and it it's like oh it when it's dark then they sort of lose their sense of sense of where everything is and they can't find you so you get the really cool action set piece or the really cool action sequence and then you have sort of the stealthy one where they're trying to sneak by in the in the dark and that gets them to the bathroom and then the last one is the they have too many people to crawl through a tunnel in the dark (sighs) and they have to they have to crawl above the in the the luggage area oh so yeah that part's so intense and then you that part where they crawl over the luggage then leads into when they get into the next car try to go on and the door is blocked they cannot get by and so they're trying to hold the one door closed where the zombies are coming from while they're trying to break through the other door to where the people are at the first class area so such tight constricting claustrophobic action scenes but they're Mm -hmm. they're choreographed so well that it for me it was really easy to track like how the action was progressing through this and i i assume this is basically why the film is so popular is because of this scene here in the middle and the shot that you have of you know song hua the dad to be and then siok Wu, the the narrator our anti-hero and Yang-Guk, the baseball player you have the shot where he's got like the his arms wrapped up in the yellow duct tape and the one guy's got the shield and they've got the baseball bat mm-hmm. and they're getting ready to go a oh, brilliant shot and it's i don't know it feels like you're watching like like an avengers movie with them all li- lined up to go but they're just people you know they're just but they're just humans yeah, yeah they're just people that are very determined to get through yeah that when you put that you wanted to talk about this scene in the in the show notes that's exactly the part i thought about of like and thought about my feeling, how I felt when that part of the movie came out. And it was just, like, exhilarating, you know? It was so good. Uh, I just... Oh. Don Lee does so good throughout this entire scene. He is iconic. And his determination and his... His... Uh, his thoughtfulness but also his willingness to Mm self-sacrifice is i don't know he just he's a real movie star in this scene and you can see why it launched a whole career for him it's it's just so good yeah and he also has the the funny the funny line when they're trapped in separate bathrooms and he says oh did that sound cool (laughs) (laughs) yeah so 
<laughs> is good. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, the movie leaves you wanting more because he's the he's the first one of our main little cohort who we've gotten to like and love. Or does one of the sisters die first? Yes. One of the sisters gets gets got first. Yeah. But that has a little less emotional impact, I feel like, because we haven't like we haven't attached to them in the same way that we have well the rest of the group. The other thing is that it doesn't pay off the that one until later because the sister gets got, but then her sister doesn't see that that's what happened until after mm. um, the dad to be gets bit uh, and turns into, you know, uh, while he's trying to hold the door. Yeah, and once again, our best friend, butthead extraordinaire Jan Suk, totally totally forks it all up like and just like he did before by hating homeless homeless people he just doesn't let them in even though like hey i like it's a zombie outbreak and we just went through or going through a pandemic and it is important to make sure people are not infected before you just mingle them together but there is so much room there there is no reason why they could have they couldn't have created like a separate quarantine area to make sure people were safe and give whatever 20 minute requisite amount of time there was for before the groups join and it's just unforgivable the he they they really really made this guy a jerk face i wanted him to die and he just kept not dying I'm just like, why? <laughs> this guy I hate him so much. Um, yeah, he's awful. And the way that he... So that scene where they get into the car, and you're like, okay, they made it. And then he turns all the passengers against them. And Oh, my God. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, that was just infuriating. Oh, my goodness. It was... That was awful. It, I hated him so much in that moment. And especially the the girl, the the baseball player's girlfriend, and the way she was like pleading with them not to not to do this, and they just turned their backs on them, and yeah, impactful scene for me that one. Yeah. Uh, do you have anything else you want to say about about this fight? That's all I've got for this one. All right, let's talk about our last scene here, which is the climax of the movie. I wanted to talk about this basically from so. I'll, I'll run down this sequence of events here. So Jan Suk is hiding in the bathroom with, I don't even remember who it was, but then he betrays him, tells him the way is clear. It's not clear. And then he shoves him out the door and <laughs> lets him get eaten by zombies and runs to safety himself. And then our group of four, so our dad, the protagonist, his daughter, the our mother-to-be, and then our homeless man are all together, but then ended end up getting trapped in, in rubble beneath a couple of capsized trains, I believe. And so they're, they are stuck there. And then there's the, our baseball player and his cheerleader girlfriend. She gets zombified and... He, this one it wrecked me emotionally. So. Yeah, the, I mean, this is this is the turning moment in the film where it's where I was like, oh, I see now. It, it now they are gonna kill like everybody, 
And it's just a question of if anyone is left standing and if people are left standing, who is left standing. And well, and additionally, what it reveals about their character as they turn, you know, Mm, and that was and I saw that in this moment with the with these two, the girl and the ball player. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that one. That one kind of wrecked me a little bit. So. Yeah, and then the our our group of four, they uh, Siak Wu finds a way out through through a little hole, but in order to get enough time to get out, because the 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 train, one of the capsized trains, just is filled with zombies, and so they're they can see them on the other side, and they're trying to get through. And for me, this was. This was the most terrifying shot of the film is when they're trapped underneath of it and all these zombies oh, yeah. are in this window like inches away from them and they're all like banging their heads against this window of this capsized train that's hanging over the top of them that they can't get out and you're just like this these windows are going to break at any moment they have to get out of here. I I had to turn it off and like take a deep breath during this part because uh, it was a lot. It it was a lot and the the homeless guy sacrifices himself so that they can escape and they escape through not a very big hole and i was definitely worried that we were they were going to say oh yeah pregnant ladies can't fit through this hole (laughs) and she was gonna have to get left behind so i was pretty glad they did not do that and then the other thing that happens here is yan suk our business guy our jerk face the so the train conductor has been looking for a way out because the train that they were on had to stop because the tracks were they were blocked the tracks were blocked and so he eventually finds another train and he's like going and he's safe the train is going and yan suk is running after him and he trips on a train track and the conductor gets out of the train and goes to help him but instead like he Yan Suk just like lets him die and then runs and catches the train. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's, it's really, really horrible. Yes. And he uses this maneuver that, you know, I learned as a, as a young fellow um, that when you're getting chased by a dog, you don't have to outrun the dog. You have to outrun the person <laughs> next to you. Um, yeah. You, you know, you don't have to run out the, outrun the zombies, just outrun the person you're with and you can get past them. And he gets, a, yeah. he's just, I hate that guy so much. <laughs> And yeah. uh, he ruins the whole plan and he could, uh, everybody's like, they sacrifice themselves multiple times to protect him as well. And then he just turns around and throws people under the train over and over again. Yeah. And then the, this was probably my favorite part of this movie is there is when the three of them are trying to chase down the train and trying to get to safety there are a couple of aerial shots that show them running after this train and i just loved these shots so much and the first one is just them but then there's a couple shots later that show the zombies starting to come coalesce around them and a third one where there's just even more zombies and i just thought it looked so cool and was such a good way of showing what was going on yeah and i i was invested enough that i forgot that yan suk was on the train so i when they got on 
even though like intellectually I should have known they had one more challenge to face, I thought they were safe. I thought they were good to go. And it wasn't until they started to walk into the cabin that I was like, oh no, yeah, this, this is not safe. Yeah. Oh, that guy's the worst. They they end up having a final showdown and Siakwu gets bit and dies. And one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about, so I had learned in college in my script analysis class that there's like this basic story structure where a story will revolve around what is called what my teacher called the major dramatic question, which is phrased as will protagonist achieve desire and sorry, will protagonist overcome antagonist and achieve desire? And the functionality of this is for a comedy, the answer will be yes, but it will be way better than you ever possibly could have imagined. And if it's tragedy, the answer will be yes, but it's going to twist around the major dramatic question in a way that you didn't see coming in a tragic way. So for Romeo and Juliet, will Romeo and Juliet overcome the the fact that they come from different backgrounds or the bigotry of their particular tribes and live together for the rest of their lives? Yes, and they will overcome that bigotry and they will live together for the rest of their lives. It's just unfortunately it's not going to be for for very a long, very long yeah, time. Their lives will be very short. Yeah. And so I couldn't help but thinking that this was framed that way. Um so will our dad, will our protagonist overcome both himself and the zombie invasion so that Suan can be with a mother, be with her mom is the framing that we think at the movie, think at the beginning of the movie, but it turns out like she's not going to get to be with her mom, but he is able to let her be with someone who's going to function as her mom. And basically everyone else dies to get there. And I, I really liked that twist. It wasn't I, I just didn't think far enough ahead to think that the outcome was going to be that Suan and Yoon were the two who came out of it and that that was the framing yeah. that we were going to end up with. That's that's what I was hoping was going to end up, but, but only because I'd identified them as like the two people that I wanted to make sure survived. But I, yeah. I was not sure that that was going to happen. I was just like, oh, if they kill off these two people, I'm going to be upset. And then they happen to be not the ones that got killed off. So lucky. But that wasn't a prediction, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah, it does make sense. I love the the way that this happens where, you know, he fights so hard to get past this, this guy. And the businessman just uh, is so – he just holds on. And it's so hard to knock him off of the train and to get rid of him and all of those things. He just he just keeps coming back. And then that bite that happens and the, the panic that you see on the dad's face and on the daughter. Uh, and then the moment where he realizes that he has the power to save – to save her by doing the one thing that he's that he has not done the the one lesson that he has learned, which is to be willing to sacrifice himself. Yeah, yeah. So, 
I don't know. It was a great ending for that one. Yeah, it was a great ending. I said everything I have had to say about the climax. Did you have anything else? I don't have anything else. That's it for me. All right, let's move to clean up here. I only have a couple things. I don't know how much you have. Uh, not very much. The first thing I wanted to say is I don't feel like this movie established very good rules. It was probably like the one thing that bugged me a little bit is I don't feel like we had very good rules for how powerful glass was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's for sure. The, the Lots of different kinds of glass that have lots of different strengths and, you know, ability to be broken through. So... I don't know. You couldn't count on any of the glass to be predictable from one scene to the next. That's for sure. Yeah, and it's very lucky that the train doors in South Korea are essentially made out of, like, Kevlar. (laughs) Yes, and especially nice that they are so dramatically stronger than just the windows on those same trains. So (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good. If that was on an MTA train... Everyone would be dead in seconds. <laughs> like, there's no... <laughs> those doors aren't stopping anybody. Yeah, well, that brings me... Nice segue into the one of my follow-up things is they're making a remake of this film. It's going to be called Train to New York. And, you know... <laughs> I just, Wait, are you joking? Are I'm you not serious? joking. This I'm 100% serious. The rights were purchased oh. by an American production company. It's supposed to be coming in 2023. And... Uh, you know, oh, no. I am one that does not like to prejudge films until I, you know, until I see a little bit of what sure, they're doing yeah. with it and whatnot. But why? I just, for, folks, you can just watch Train to Busan and you don't have to watch the American remake of Train to Busan. I don't know. So we'll see if that one's good. I don't have high hopes, but I got my fingers crossed anyways, because I don't know. I always want films to be good. Yeah, I think, like, if you're making a remake of a film that's, whatever, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years old, like, I think it's really easy to easy to construct reasons why you would want to remake those films, even if maybe some people would reasonably disagree with that. It's hard to construct a reason for this film to be remade other than more people will watch it if it's not in Korean. Yeah, essentially and racist reasons that... Um, yeah. yeah. And that, yeah, that's that's a bummer. Yep, for sure. Yeah, for sure. So, I don't know. Get over your fear, fear of subtitles, folks, and go... Uh, or dubbing, whichever one you want to do, and go watch this film. Mm-hmm. It's It's... I mean, the emotions all play out on their faces. You can understand what's going on. There's a couple of points where where you, you know, maybe pause and think about it for a second, but then keep going. And it's a tightly constructed film. You'll understand the story and the subtitles are done really well. And, you know, I have no idea how well the dubs are, but give it a chance. Try out one of these films, even if you don't speak the language that it's in. Yeah, and that, that brings me to the... The only other thing that I had for cleanup here, which is, holy cow, did the zombies look good? Like, (laughs) I don't know exactly what film techniques they used for all of these, but the way they, I assume some amount of it has to be CGI, but the way their bodies were contorting and jerking and the way they made them move fast through, I assume, speeding up the film some amount just was like, extremely effective and 
never i i was never taken out of it by anything yeah and there's some practical effects that go into this that were really clever and really good some performances from actors and extras and all of that that just were really good and they got the movement of the zombies down and then also some animation effects like that that one of the first shots of the film is this deer that gets uh, hit and then gets back up and it looks so good and this is why for me when i saw the budget i was like that cannot be because the special effects on this were really, really good on the way these zombies looked. Uh, it blew me away. I think part of that is the director's experience in directing animated films. And so I think maybe some of that sensibility Lee, uh, helped him be able to construct those things in such a fulfilling way. Um, that's all I have for cleanup. What else, what else do you have? So, you know, the last thing that I hear, have here is the way this story basically comes about by these tech companies that completely fail in their ethical responsibilities um (laughs) and you know (sighs) i felt that one it for for a film you know that's about zombies and uh probably not the most realistic kind of zombie outbreak and all those kinds of things i sure identified with everything that was going on here um and all the stuff that was going on at the time period I mean, maybe you don't see your family members get bit by zombies and then turn into monsters, but, you know, getting bit by the bug of fascism and then kind of jumping on those boards, there's a lot of people that probably have seen that kind of thing happen. So instead of an actual zombie outbreak, we've got our tech companies and our uh, cryptos and NFTs and Fox News and all of those kinds of things that seem to be uh, making people completely lose their sense of humanity. So that's my only last thing to add on. Yeah. Yeah makes sense (laughs) uh do you have a closing question for us i do so you know part of these people's regular uh experience is taking trains to get where they need to go and then there's the zombie outbreak on the train Mm -hmm. so in in your life where i didn't know how to phrase this exactly but where do you imagine the zombie movie uh taking place like what's the action set piece or the 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 premise of the zombie movie that you end up in Oh, yeah. I mean, this is extremely easy. Like right now I'm commuting to the office three days a week and Mary is still working from home. And if I had to construct the most terrifying scenario, so I live in New Jersey, I work in Manhattan. And to get into the office, I take a bus that goes through the Lincoln Tunnel. And so the like the a number one scariest thing that i can imagine is our buses in the lincoln tunnel and the zombies start coming from behind us like behind us in the tunnel yeah and so we have to get out of the bus and run onto manhattan so then we're trapped on the island and my wife and my dog are (laughs) off of the island and I am stuck in in the in the middle of the outbreak, getting getting pushed inward and have to figure out a way off the island so that I can get to get to my wife, my dog, and a car and hopefully safety. Honestly, that sounds like a great film. Instead of remaking this in New York, they should just make that just call it the Lincoln Tunnel. And mm-hmm. you know Hey, I I mean they can contact me. I will not charge a lot for for this idea it's it's a great idea yeah 
In fact, I'll charge nothing. I'll just take a percentage of the profits. I'll just take a small percentage. It's worth it. I think that you'll make it. That sounds like a great... I would watch it. What about you? Uh, So, you know, as people know, I'm a teacher. And so my mind goes right to what would happen if there was a zombie outbreak while I was at school. Mm-hmm. There is a film that's sort of like this. I teach it at high school, but uh, there's a film that I want to see that I have not seen yet. But the zombie outbreak happens, and the main character is a kindergarten teacher and is in a classroom with a ki- bunch of kindergartners. That's called Little Monsters. I want to see it really badly because you know I I love that idea. But oh, in a school with 3,500 kids in these like you know so many we have 32 portables on our campus. Um, portables are like trailers that kids are packed into for classrooms and the the way that the school would be a set piece for a zombie film and just you know the corridors and the way that things clog up and you'd be trying to get through and being in classrooms it sounds like you know it would be a complete nightmare i don't know how well you'd be able to make a film of it because of the connotations and connections with school shootings that might make it mm-hmm. a really interesting social commentary piece to do it that way but uh, so there's my idea a much more difficult one to make that may or may be a complete flop uh, or may be like seen as an artistic you know triumph that wins oscars who knows but th- that's what the kind of thing you'd be dealing with yeah uh okay so my question is kind of similar but you're at home with your family. Your entire family is there. Your immediate family. And you have seen or heard that there's a zombie outbreak happening. What's your plan? Oh, that's really tricky because the first thing to do is to try to get out of the city. I'm in Las Vegas. Um, you know, you'd, you'd think being way out in the middle of nowhere that it would be able easy to get out of the city. But unfortunately, that is not the case at all. There are not that many major roads that lead out of the city and a lot of them don't have that many lanes uh, and otherwise you're looking at just trekking across the desert with no water and no food so trying to get out of the city of las vegas is a really challenging thing and trying to get on the road and i can only assume that tons of people would be on there trying to get away if you get out of the city you can make it to a, a rural town and like you'll be able to have resources and be able to survive out there for probably a long time and you'd 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 probably be okay, but getting out of the city is a challenging thing to do. So probably what we'd have to do, I I think the best bet is um, I don't think we'd be able to make it very far on car. Um, So I think that we'd have to do some amount of moving on foot through like uh, canals or, um, or side streets or whatever it might be to get past the freeway. And then, you know, probably near the rich people's houses where it's up on the hill and whatnot. Uh, And then probably uh, hijack a car once we're too farther away from the city to be able to get past the congestion of people that would be trying to get away. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I've thought about this, apparently. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. So what about you? Well, so we're tough. We're uh, We're on the sixth floor of an apartment. So I don't think... I guess it would depend on how confident I was, like, what stage of the outbreak we were in. Mm -hmm. Because if I think there's zombies in the building, I think we have to hold down the fort in our... Like, I think our apartment is relatively impenetrable. No one can get in our windows and no one can get to our balcony, really. 
It's pretty zombie proof. Um, yeah. And our door and locks are strong. So I think we would have to hold down the fort in here while we figure out a way to get three of us from our balcony to the ground. Yeah, makes sense. And this is the I am legend uh, uh, style of zombie story. Yeah. And then one by that point, I think we'll know, like, by the time we figured out how to do that and we feel like it's safe enough we'll know whether or not we're going for our car. Like if the streets are, if there's going to be a route for the streets to be clear. And if we can, then we go north, I think, to where it's going to just be a little less populated. And if we can't, I have no idea what we do. (laughs) (laughs) It's It's like we live in the literally the most densely populated city in the country. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, or town <laughs> um, in the country. Whereas I live in one of the states with the the uh, in the bottom five like people per square mile uh, in the state. You know, if, once you get out of the city, so a little bit of a difference there. Yeah. All right, so that will do it for us this week. As always, we would love to hear from you if you have any thoughts or feedback. We're nearing the end of our third season here. So if you want to send us some feedback, you can shoot us an email at podcaststreamit at gmail.com. And if you just want to say hi or give us some thoughts, you can find me on Twitter at Zvazda, Z-V-A-Z-D-A. And you can find Matt at... O-R-A-Y-M-W. Yeah. And as always, thank you to David Stewart, who has been helping us with the editing and also has been beta listener of the podcast. So thanks a lot, David. And also, I apologize for my voice. I hope it wasn't too bad for people. And next week, hopefully, I will have a little bit higher voice, but we're going to, we're doing the centennial here. We're going back to 1922. I have, you have been watching, uh, you've watched four other movies from 1922, but I've never watched a movie that's 100 years old. So I'm pretty excited. And we're going to be watching the original, I believe the original movie of Robin Hood. So make sure you get the 1922 one. Uh, You'll know pretty quickly once you start the movie, but I searched Robin Hood on Amazon Prime and probably like 30 movies showed up. So just make sure you find the right one. You want to make sure you have one that has no color uh, and that has no (laughs) people talking. So Douglas Fairbanks in Robin Hood 1922. Uh, I'm very excited about this one. Yeah, so I'm, I'm sure we'll get... Well, hopefully we get at least one person who watches along with us. Yeah, I hope so. But... That'll be that, and we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.